Hi, CityCast listeners. On Fridays, we talk about the week's news in Houston. Today, we are joined by Scott Braddock, who is a journalist and political analyst for the Quorum Report and a host of the Houston Chronicle podcast, Texas Take. He's going to be talking about the news with me and CityCast producer, A.K. Al Momen. It is Friday, October 14th, 2022. I'm Lisa Gray, and this is CityCast Houston. All right, A.K. and Scott, let's talk about the news. A.K., what do you think the biggest story of the week was for Houston? I think our biggest story is that the Astros are in perfect shape for the divisional series right now. Uh, We just came out of a big win against the Mariners. A dramatic win, no less. A very dramatic win, an 8-7 in the end. Jordan Alvarez with that three-run home run. It was beautiful. It was spectacular. After the Astros had been looking lousy for most of the game and you were despairing. So that is, that's, I think, one of the big, the, the meat of the story is that the Astro, I mean, we have like Verlander didn't look super great, even though he's the young winner this year. He's probably the best pitcher in baseball. We probably have one of the best batting staffs in, in all of baseball. Uh, I mean, the only team that looks better than us on paper has always been just the Dodgers. But it just does not make sense why for the last, I think, three years at this point, the Astros are very much a come-from-behind team. I don't understand why we're such a dominant force, but yet still play like underdogs in a lot of ways. We don't show our dominance from the beginning. It seems like we start games way too easy and then let it run away from us and try to catch up way at the end. And I think that ever that if we're going to make it into the World Series the same way we made it in 2020, uh, it just doesn't make sense for us because at that level, it just doesn't seem like it would be a winning strategy for us to be holding uh, the World Series at the end of the at the end of this season. But it's so fun to watch them come from behind. It's thrilling. It wouldn't be any fun if it, if it looked like they were always going to win, right? Right. They're not steamrollering it. I mean, that's what the Dodgers... Well, the Dodgers just lost their first game. So I guess it, a win from behind is... <laughs> it makes you feel more relatable to the rest of the... But we're the bad guys. We're supposed to be the bad guys. We're supposed no, we're to come not. in and Nuh-uh. roll through everyone. I I don't know. I don't, I don't feel... <laughs> I feel more like we should be destroying everyone who doubted us, who thought that somehow our cheating scandal was worse than the other cheating scandals that all of the teams that have been doing it for 50 (laughs) years have been doing. All right, Scott, what about you? What's the big story for you this week? Well, I tell you, it is the fact that we have a $200 million race for governor of Texas, which is kind of unbelievable. I can't remember anything. It was a more than $100 million race for U.S. Senate four years ago. Which was amazing then. Right. And that was at that point, it was the most expensive U.S. Senate race anywhere in the country, uh, you know, in history uh, when uh, Beto O'Rourke and Ted Cruz faced off at that time. Uh, These guys, uh, Beto and Greg Abbott, are just prolific fundraisers Uh, this week. And this gets down in the the weeds of uh, political reporting. And, And by the way, we're not at the point in the campaign season where I roll my eyes at everything. 
That's coming up. <laughs> that's probably in the next two weeks or so. Yeah. Uh, November is coming. Um, but uh, this this part of it uh, is keeping track of campaign finances and how much money do these people really have to continue to flood the airwaves with all of the ads you're seeing, including mm-hmm. during the baseball games, right? Um, and for the reporting period, which ended at the end of September, both Abbott and O'Rourke raised uh, right around $25 million each. Wow. And for the first time I can remember in a generation, the Democrat in the race has more cash in the bank than the Republican. So what does that say for the rest of the race? I'm not sure exactly, other than the fact that you're going to see a whole lot more of these attack ads on both sides uh, from these guys. But at this point in the election, I can't imagine there are a lot of people who don't have their minds made up already. So if they were persuaded, they were probably persuaded already. And what needs to happen now for either side to be able to win is to turn out the people who agree with the, the you know their candidate of choice. Yeah, for the turnout, do you think that like um, due to it being a referendum on these these major issues that have hit in the past year or so, especially for Texas, the abortion laws, uh, mm-hmm. the overcrowding of jails now that Biden is pardoning, but we seem to be getting reports that like it doesn't seem like Greg Abbott or the state of Texas is interested in what Biden is doing with these pardons. Right. With a lot of this stuff happening, and this seems like a referendum election on the Republican Party's inaction, or at least its action towards a more negative space for a lot of groups. Do you think that that does it seem like it's motivating uh, a group to come out and vote the same way they came out against Trump in the 2020 election? In some ways, here's the way I would characterize that, AK. I would say that, you know, in midterm elections, it's generally the case, and this is, in fact, it's almost always the case, that the party in power in the White House loses yeah. elections all over the place, right? Because, you know, whoever's in the White House gets blamed for whatever's going wrong. Um, and what we do see now, which we have never seen before, is that the former president just won't go away. Right. (laughs) Donald Trump is in the news all the time. Right. Right. So in some ways, to your point, in some ways, it's sort of it's sort of Biden's midterm, but it's also sort of Trump's midterm, too, which I think sort of evens the playing field. And on the question of whether it's a referendum on Republicans, I don't really think that it is. Um, You know, respectfully, I would just say that it's a dynamic situation. There are so many issues at play that people are, are worried about and concerned about, including concerns about the economy, inflation immigration, some of the issues you mentioned, abortion, gun violence, uh, what's happening with you know people uh, who are uh, being pardoned uh, by uh, President Biden. I think one of the smart things that Biden's doing right now is trying to give progressives and liberals some sort of eye-level wins, uh, I would say, on the pardons uh, you know, for the low-level marijuana cases. That is politically akin to canceling some student debt because it would have an immediate effect in people's lives. And, you know, there's a lot of folks who are uh, who would say they're more progressive, who have been disappointed in a lot of ways with the Biden administration for not getting more done uh, over the last two years. All right. So my big story for the week is about sort of the battle for Harris County. It looks as though this election season has kicked into extremely high gear. I thought that with the Republicans on the county commission choosing not to show up for votes on the budget that we had already become about as fractious as we could get. But no, Uh, this week uh, during the Wednesday meeting, uh, uniformed cops flooded the chamber. Um, They were waving banners. Lena Hidalgo, who has said that she has had food poisoning and has had to go to the emergency room twice, bailed out early on the meeting. 
and of course, our two Republican commissioners did not show to vote. You know, this is about as nasty a Harris County campaign as I have ever seen for both the Harris County judge and the commissioners. It's hardball. Oh, bless your heart, Lisa. Oh, you've seen more? Oh, Houston is the best for nasty politics in Texas. Yeah. You know, I grew up in, <laughs> I, politically, I grew up in Houston and Harris County. And I, I always, I, I, I tell people, um, you know, one of the reasons I'm able to take all the BS that we that we see in Texas politics is because I started in Houston. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's always, it's always nasty. It's all, it's sort of, um, it, you know, if you compare it to politics in other parts of the country, I would say that it's, it's, it's wonderfully nasty. But with maybe the only place that has bigger sort of machine politics would be Chicago, just because of the sheer size and the way things that have, you know, the way things play out. So, AK, yeah. what do you think should have gotten more attention this week? My uh, alma mater, the University of Houston, uh, was coming into this season, their football team was coming mm-hmm. into this season, basically being the predicted number one uh, team. They, they were supposedly going to be ranked uh, this year, predicted. Predictions before the season started, and so far during the season, they've kind of underwhelmed, uh, mm-hmm. especially in a season where they're getting ready to for them and the actual number one of the AAC to uh, lead right now, which is Cincinnati. They're getting ready to move to the Big Twelve Conference, a bigger conference, a more money conference, a more competitive conference. And it seems like they're underwhelming with a 3-3 record. Uh, They're sixth in the conference, which is nowhere near where they're predicted to be. Um, And it just seems like a very interesting story that they are trying to move into the Big 12 at a period of time where the Big 12 is kind of shrinking, where Oklahoma, the two biggest universities there, Oklahoma and the University of uh, of Austin, are both moving to the SEC. And... It just seems like this weird reshuffling of conferences where it doesn't really get us any more cloud than we need to. And we haven't really proven that our scouting or Mm -hmm. our coaching can get us to a point where we can lead in a bigger conference. Cincinnati would probably have more success than us. I think that our Cougars basketball team would have more success than the football team. But the football team hasn't really shown consistency. All right, Scott, what about you? What should have gotten more attention, you think? Uh, well, I think the fact that the Dixie Chicks came out for better or work, I was really surprised <laughs> by that. <laughs> really shocked by that. Is that, that, that uh, you know, huh. that a lot of liberal folks are for the Democrat in this thing. But one thing I think is, uh, I, you know, it probably got sufficient attention, but I do think it's a fun conversation when people talk about how, uh, you know, celebrities should not even talk about their politics. So, you know, you see uh, Willie Nelson comes out for Beto, the Chicks come out for uh, for for him as well. Harry Styles came out for yeah. uh, for Beto O'Rourke. He had the Beto sticker. <laughs> I missed that. Um, yeah. uh, one thing that didn't get enough attention is well, at, at the Harry Styles concert in Austin, he came out for Beto O'Rourke, um, mm-hmm. and of course the crowd was going wild. And I said, you know, on on Twitter, I said, you know, that's all just poetry till they actually go vote, right? It doesn't matter what they do at the. <laughs> and a lot of the folks in that crowd probably can't even vote because they're not old enough yet. But did you know Greg Abbott's daughter? was also there oh. at the concert, at the Harry Styles concert, when uh, you know Beto's candidacy was being promoted by, by Styles, which I thought was just kind of fun. Oh, man. Awkward moment. Awkward. Yeah. I am thinking that Uvalde, for all the attention that we have given it, is still a compelling story. This week, the New York Times did an analysis of its own of yet more of the video footage. And they are undercutting 
even more yet again this narrative that it was the school district police chief who was at fault who had somehow seized control and was stopping all the other good guys yeah. there that you know basically we had a pretty great response in that people got there fast and then nobody went in and I think that raises huge questions about how safe our schools are. Yeah, I um, I follow along closely with uh, one of the mothers, um, the mother uh -huh. of Amory Joe Garza on Twitter, and she posts. She'll post in the middle of the night things about how she wishes it was her instead of her daughter who had gotten killed. Wow! How she can't move past that day. And Lisa, I think you're right. And one of the reasons that this, and you know, I. I struggle with whether it gets a sufficient amount of attention or not. You know, on, on, on my show that I do with Jeremy Wallace at the Houston Chronicle, we talk about Uval, Uvalde every week. I mean, we, we, the, the story is always there. Uh, and so I feel like it gets, it, there's never, it, you know, it's always a debate. Does it get enough coverage or enough attention? But the thing that I keep coming back to, and it's something my colleague Jeremy says all the time, is, you know, if, for the rest of us, it may seem like three or four months ago that that happened. But for those families, it's every day. Yeah. For those families, it's today. It's today that you know their their kid was not there at the breakfast table. It's today that they did not take them to school, and it's today that they're not going to pick them up. Yeah. All right. That that was heavy. Ak, what has made you happy this week? What was your moment of joy? Uh, last time I was I, I was I was on this panel, I I went to Lady Gaga, and this week I went to another concert. I went to Lil Nas X. Uh, it was oh yeah, phenomenal. Old Town Road. Yeah, it was phenomenal. Uh, Lil Nas, I don't, um, uh, he, he like didn't serenade us with song or whatever. I don't think that's where his strength comes in. I think his strength comes in, in the, in his performance. Like that man is a star. The showmanship. Yeah. The showmanship of it all. Like mm -hmm. I, I, I enjoy, I enjoyed that show more than when I, when me, when some of my friends have seen Harry Styles live, like a lot of that, like the production design of it, the lighting, the story he was telling, the the acts he was doing. There was video, there was narration. Yeah, and the Houston crowd was eating this up. It was so much fun. We yeah. were jumping on our feet. He gave props to his dancers, <laughs> like his dancers were a part of the show. That it was it was such a like an involved and like communal experience, especially like the concert hall mm -hmm. he picked. You could see the entire audience. Where was it? It was at seven one three, the one by Post. By oh, Post. okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they uh, they opened it in in twenty twenty one, and now it's been like picking up steam. It's a beautiful place. It has this X staircase that's yellow. It has like bars on both stages. There's a seating area that's really nice that doesn't obstruct anything from the stage. Like it, it was an amazing and incredible concert. I had some. I was like, I'm. I'm I don't know if I can dance to Old Town Road again, <laughs> but I don't know. Industry Baby. <laughs> One more time. Like, Industry yeah. Baby he is just great. Played All hit. the songs are great. Yeah. 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 I, he played hit after hit, and it just, I, my soul was dancing. I loved it. All right. Scott, can anything give your jaded heart happiness anymore, your smoke-blackened heart? What What is yours? You you picked me on the right week to ask me about my um, my story that brought me joy. I was overjoyed. Can I read one sentence from Texas Sport Texas Sports Nation? Oh please! And th this will bring the show full circle. It was they will talk on bar stools or by water coolers with pure glee 
picture-perfect memory and perhaps a hint of hyperbole about the afternoon that Jordan Alvarez added his name to the list of legends propelling the Houston Astros through their golden era. I was, oh, so I was, uh, I was. That I is was a beautiful sentence. At a, I was at a dinner in Austin. There's so much of the business of politics around here gets done at happy hours and dinners, you know, talking to people about what's going on. And I was at a cigar shop earlier in the afternoon watching. I, I work a lot at a cigar shop, you know, I sit with my computer and talk uh -huh. to people and write about politics while I was also watching the Astros game at the cigar shop. And the, and it looked like the Astros were going to lose, right? Like AK said earlier in the in the in the show, um, and it was about five o'clock, and I had to head on to this happy hour and dinner thing. And I thought, ah, you know, as much as I love my Astros, I do have to go to this thing I said I was going to go to. So, and I'll watch the you know watch it unfold on Twitter or whatever. I'm not really paying attention to what people are saying at the dinner. I'm watching Twitter <laughs> to see what's happening with you know the Astros. I was up, at, you know, after that happened, that 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 walk off three run, run homer. Um, I was up till 3 a.m. I think I watched that. I think I watched that video a thousand times. I read every tweet about it. I was just thrilled. I couldn't. And then in the morning, in the morning, the next day. So what was that? That was Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, I wake up and I'm tweeting it out again. Like, it wasn't a dream. It was amazing. 430 feet. He unbelievable. He just unbelievable. It. I mean, that, that 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 sucker that was out of a movie. You know, so I'm I'm thrilled. I, I you know I've been to two World Series now with the Astros. But when 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 they want to accuse us of cheating, I say I would go bang the trash can personally if that's what it takes. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. So don't mess don't with care. my Astros, right? So I was I was just so happy, Lisa. I I couldn't believe it. Yeah. All right, mine is a very small thing. Um, I am incredibly annoyed by corporate Halloween decorations, the kind that, you know, are sold in places like Walmart and Target starting in July, and then they disappear in September. They're inflatable. Yeah. They're nasty. I've been really happy to see that people are making their own, at least still in spots in Houston. People are painting pumpkins. We don't carve them early because they'll rot here. People are making ghosts out of trash bags. It just feels like a happier, mm -hmm. smaller time. Uh, and it makes me think, oh, maybe kids will make their own costumes. Maybe the world will leave this, you know, corporate dominated Halloween space. Amazon makes it really yeah. hard. I get it. Although, you know, I, I, you know, there are some people who just go, oh, so over the top in my neighborhood with their, with their Halloween decorations. I kind of like it. You know, I'll cruise the neighborhood and see what oh, people- Oh, the giant inflatables with the lights and the cackling. Giant inflatables. Yeah. There's some haunted castle in the front of the person's house. There's- uh, Yeah. Like the houses that speak to you with the LED lights and the speakers. <laughs> yeah. The houses that speak to you. Of course, I live in Austin, so there's sometimes you couldn't tell whether these are Halloween things or whether they <laughs> just have them up all, all year. Um, we are weird around here. They say we're weird. We are weird around here. Believe me. All right, y'all. This has been great. Thanks a lot. This was great. Awesome. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. That was AKL Moment and Scott Braddock. Until Tuesday, we are still accepting call-ins for our Things to Do for Halloween show. If you have a suggestion, please. Call our voicemail, 713-489-6972. Tell us your name and what you think we all should do to get in the Halloween mood. That is it for our show this week. Our lead producer, Dina Kesba, is away on parental leave. Carly on Jones and A.K. Al-Moman are our producers. And Meg Dalton, our roving producer, has been helping out this week. 
Our theme music is by Farrell Gibbs and his band, All the Kimonos. Our newsletter is by Brooke Lewis, and I'm your host, Lisa Gray. We'll be back Monday. Talk with you then. Rick Perry used to call us the blueberry <laughs> and the tomato soup.